We human beings are hard to figure out, aren't we? Maybe the human beings you live with are, maybe you're not. But we are. And, you know, one of the areas that is interesting is our relationship to night and day, darkness and light. You know, oftentimes we will speak about the fact that we're, we're scared of the night, we're scared of the dark. Even as adults, there are times we feel that way. But the truth is, as human beings, we actually prefer to live in the night and not in the day. We prefer darkness over light. Why? If we're kind of afraid of it, why do we prefer the darkness over the light? We're gonna answer that question in just a few minutes. But I want to remind all of you, we are in our Christmas series. It began in December. And we've been talking about how to find peace and contentment in and through the Christmas season. What is it about Christmas that can give us a sense of peace and contentment? We've looked at Mary last weekend. Pastor Cal talked to us about Joseph. If you missed those messages, you're welcome to go online and, and find out what they can teach us about having contentment all year long. But this weekend... We're going to look at the shepherds and what they have to teach us about finding peace and contentment. So if you're online joining us or one of our campuses, I want to invite you right now to get your Bibles out because we're not going to use the screen. We're going to go old school today and turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you're using our Bibles that we provide for you, it's found on page 1560. And uh, look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8. And to honor the reading of God's word, would you stand with me <clears throat> as I read this? In verse 8, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You may be seated. May God bless his word. That night is how the translation I read from, the New Living Translation, begins. And I chose that because it really captures the, the language there. That night. How many nights do you think have gone by since God created the first night ever? Trillions? Millions? Who knows? But that night, that night stands out from all the other nights that God has ever created or that will ever be. Because on that night, peace and contentment 
were born. And what's so beautiful about that is that on that night, the possibility for you and me to live and experience peace and contentment in our hearts, in our lives, every day was made possible. And that's exciting. Of course, it begs the question, do you know peace and contentment in your soul, in your heart, in your life right now? Something to think about, isn't it? I would guess if we were to be really honest with each other, many of us would say, I'm struggling this Christmas season to have peace and contentment in my life. I love the Christmas story, and I'm sure many of you do as well. But, you know, we have a tendency to romanticize the Christmas story. Have you ever noticed that? It's the result of Christmas carols, right, and tradition and pageants and plays. How many of you have ever been in a Christmas pageant or a play as a kid or adult? Let me see your hands. Wow, look at all the actors we have. How many of you were chosen to play a shepherd? Let me see your hands. It's like the worst, isn't it? I've played shepherds before. I mean, everybody else gets to wear fancy costumes, right, or stand in the limelight. But if you're a shepherd, what do you get? You're just simply told, ah, wear your pajamas and an old house coat. And, you know, if you're a kid, your mom wrapped a towel around your head with a piece of rope. And you kind of stood off in the shadows someplace. But the shepherds have something tremendous to teach us about what it means to have peace and contentment. You know, in the passage of Scripture, it says to us that when the angel appeared, they were what? Terrified. Let's say that word together. You don't sound terrified. And in most of those Christmas plays and pageants, you know, when the the angels do come out, right, and they always have the nicest outfits, they're the most good-looking kids, they have the best voices. That's why I was never chosen as one. The shepherds are told by the coaches, now act surprised, act surprised, and they never really act, well, they don't act terrified. What what does it mean to be terrified? Have you ever been terrified? My brother and I uh, have been doing a lot of talking with each other, uh, particularly since his diagnosis of cancer and catching up on a lot of things and talking about childhood and, and our adult years and and, and we've had some really great laughs uh, talking about some of the things that we have done to each other. You know, brothers do that, right? I don't know if sisters do or not, but brothers, they do things to each other. And uh, one particular incident uh, came to mind. My brother and I, um, we were um, talking about how he came to visit us. Marsha and I had just been... Uh, raising our kids, and we had moved into a, a, a three-level townhome, and, and he was staying overnight, a couple nights, he needed a place to sleep, and I said, well, the only beds I have available are our bunk beds. Our kids, you know, are out of the bunk beds now, and they're down in the basement. Do you mind sleeping there? He said, no problem. So you had to get to the basement through our, our, our kitchen, and you open the door, and then you had to turn the light on. There's only one switch. So I turned the light on, and we went down a really long flight of stairs and then landed on the uncarpeted, you know, concrete floor and walked over to the bunk beds, and my brother climbed up. It was kind of funny to see him as an adult 
we, he and I had grown up in bunk beds, but seeing him climb up there, and I gave him a flashlight uh, because the switch was so far away, and I said goodnight to him. And I, I went back over the steps, and while I was climbing up the steps, something very evil came over me. <laughs> when I got to the top step, I said goodnight, Mark, and I turned the light off, and I opened the door, and I closed it, but I remained on the top step. And I thought to myself, I'm going to scare him. So I waited for a while with excitement until I figured he had kind of started to slumber off to sleep. And I, like a leopard, crept down the stairs with great stealth. And there was, you know, the stairs weren't creaking. It was just, it was perfect. And I landed on that concrete floor and I carefully felt my way over to the bunk beds and I felt up the railing until I knew I was at the top rail and I grabbed and I screamed. You would have thought that that bunk bed was spring-loaded. <laughs> I am sure he levitated for at least a minute and screamed with a scream that would make any opera singer jealous. <laughs> and I, I stumbled my way to steps and, and I laughed so hard I could hardly get up off the, uh, up to the landing and out the door. And of course, he was so rattled and upset, he had no mind or thought of trying to chase me in the dark. It was one of the best nights I've ever had. <laughs> My point in telling you that story is he was terrified. That's what it means to be terrified. To be terrified means that, that you're shaken to your core. You are seized with fear. And I don't know if the shepherds actually screamed or not, but folks, it says they were terrified. They were seized with fear. They were shaken to their core. And what's so strange about this is what scares them is the light. The brightness, the glory of the angel who has come from and in a sense bringing God's presence into the darkness, into the night air. It just shakes them up. They were calm. They were at ease. They were at peace in the darkness. And now it's like this floodlight's on them and that... And they're just, they're just scared, senseless as a result of that. And you wonder to yourself, why? Why would you be so scared of this brightness, of this light? And, and it's because all of us, all of us actually prefer darkness over light. Over in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, and the judgment is based on this fact. This is why judgment comes. It says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So why is it that we, spiritually speaking, prefer darkness over light? And the answer goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. You ever thought about this? Adam and Eve lived in the light of God's glory and God's presence every day in the garden. Like, they didn't even really have a concept of darkness. It was just like, we're with God. There was no fear. There was no intimidation. It was just joy to be in the presence of God. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to be in God's presence. And then we know the serpent showed up and the serpent said, 
you know what? Why, why do you want to live in God's presence? Why don't you live in your own presence? Why do you want to serve God? You can be your own God. And the way you can do that is just defy God, disobey God, take that fruit that he said belonged to him. Take it for yourself. And we know what they did. They took the fruit, they ate it. And what's the first thing they do? They run. And where do they run towards? They run toward the bushes. Why? To hide themselves in darkness away from God. Why do they run and why do they hide? Because they don't want to be found out by God. Now, you and I may physically, visually prefer light. I understand that. But the truth is, spiritually speaking, in our interior, what we actually prefer is the darkness. There are certain things in your life and my life thoughts, ideas, imaginations that we don't want anybody to ever know about. Not even our spouse, not our parents, not our our kids, not our peers. There are just some things that we try to keep wrapped up in the darkness. We wouldn't want anybody to know it. I mean, how would you feel if every thought you have ever had in your life or ever will have in your life, how would you feel if something happened to you and suddenly all of that went live on the internet? How many of you would be a little worried about that? We would all be very worried about that. Why? We'd be embarrassed about that. We'd feel guilty about that. Some of us might even go to jail for that. All that stuff exposed about our lives and what's been in our head and in our hearts. And we even try to, we even try to keep that concealed from God. And when we sense somebody tinkering with us, somebody getting close to that, you know, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll either lash out or we'll, we'll, re, we'll retreat, we'll isolate. And what we oftentimes try to do is we try to wrap ourselves up. You know, like Adam and Eve, remember? They, they, you know, we were naked and ashamed, so they covered themselves. You know, we still struggle with this idea of covering Ourselves, And that's why there's this beautifully wrapped gift up here. I want you to imagine for a moment that the box in here is your life, okay? Whether you're young, middle-aged, older, imagine it's your life. It's all that content. It's all, it's all, you know, it's your worth, it's your values, how you think, how you feel about yourself, how you assess yourself, your hopes, your dreams, your fears. We try to wrap it up because we want to come across as confident. Well, what are the kinds of things that we wrap ourselves up in? Well, the world gives us all kinds of wrapping paper we can do it with. I can wrap myself up with, you know, appearance and, and you know, physical prowl, you know, strength. If I feel like I've got strength and if I feel like, hey, I, you know, I am, I'm, I'm a good-looking person, I, then I really focus on that and wrap it up because I want to present the right image. Or maybe we wrap ourselves up with our career. I'm good at what I do, our success. Or maybe we wrap ourselves up in finances and materialism because, you know, we, we have the capacity to be able to do that because we, we earn a good income and, and we can live in the right neighborhood and live in the right house and drive the right car. Or perhaps we wrap ourselves up with our talent and our ability because we're really good at certain things and, and people kind of talk about how good we are at those things. Or maybe we wrap ourselves up with sexuality and pleasure because, you know, that's where we get our sense of confidence and, and, and you know, taking advantage of others and their bodies or whatever makes us feel good or, or it, you know, there's so many ways to try to wrap ourselves up, maybe not to fit in with everybody because you're never going to fit in with everybody, but in our culture today, we're not an everybody culture anymore. We're a tribal culture. 
So what tribe do I want to belong to? And if I want to belong to that tribe, how do I wrap myself up so that tribe will accept me? And we just, you know, we just, we just hope the presentation is good. When I was researching this, I came across a phrase I had not heard of before. It's called uh, imposter syndrome. And I thought to myself, I know what imposters are. I think I know what this means, but let me do a little bit of research. And it was kind of what I thought, but it had a little bit more insight than I realized you know, imposter syndrome is, is when we wrap ourselves up and put ourselves out there and, and we look good on the outside and it's impressive to people, but we personally know inside that what we're presenting outside doesn't reflect who we really are on the inside. That inside we're nervous, we're stressed, we're anxious. And what I thought was fascinating, and this I want to share with you, I actually wrote it down, it said, it said this imposter syndrome is common in high-achieving individuals. Isn't that interesting? Because I'm going to guess at Whitdale Church, we have a lot of high-achieving individuals. I try to be one of them. We wrap ourselves up to look like, man, I, I got it together. But inside, we fear. We fear we might get rejected. We fear we might fail. We fear we might lose. We fear we might... We might suffer, we fear we might, you know, we might die, we fear the future. We have all these fears and at least anxiety and stress because we're trying to keep it, you know, looking good, but inside, you know, we have all this stuff we're scared about. And so, in a sense, we're kind of like those packages, you know, when they put that sticker on and it says what? It says fragile, right? Fragile. We're so afraid that somebody, somebody might break us somebody might find out more about us so really we look strong and tough on the outside but we're fragile on the inside here catch Kyle <laughs> thanks a lot you just dropped me that really hurt he did it on purpose he dropped it I asked him to see I know he's fragile he doesn't want you to think that he can't catch things alright so I, <laughs> coming alongside of him, strengthening him up. That's how we are, right? Have you been dropped lately? Has somebody unwrapped you a little bit lately? And it's like, oh my goodness, they see my weakness, they see my struggles. How do we get over these fears in our life? The answer is given to us in this text. Look at Luke chapter two again, but this time I'm gonna read it to you in the English Standard Version. The reason I wanna do that is because it's, it, it matches up the original language the best on, on, on these verses. Listen to what it says, because here's the solution to our fears. The angel said to them, fear not, or don't be afraid. When Kyle was speaking last weekend, he did a great job talking about when the angel speaks to Joseph, you know, who has this confrontation, right, in this vision. He says, don't be afraid. The shepherds are terrified. The angel says, don't be afraid. Now, if that's all he said, that would, not, that would not be of much help, right? That's like when you're depressed and people tell you, don't be depressed. It's like, if I could, I, I would stop being depressed. I need more than to be just told, don't be afraid or don't be depressed. And then the angel says this. He says, fear not for behold. I want to camp on that word for a moment. It's an old kind of English word. What does it mean to behold something? To behold something means to draw your gaze towards something and then keep it there. But listen carefully. It means that whatever you're beholding actually gets a hold of you. 
And it's like you, you lose sight of everything else. When I first met my wife, Marcia, I beheld her. I didn't see any other woman. I didn't see any other girl. There was nobody else. It was just her. In fact, I beheld her so much that at one point she said to me, you are beholding me too much. <laughs> now they call that stalking. But anyway, <laughs> because I was just taken by her, and I still am. When my children were born, I beheld them. When my grandchildren were born, I beheld them. They, be, they captured me. When I see a sunrise, I behold it. When I see a sunset, I behold it. When I see the, the stars in, a, in, a, in the sky popping out in that darkness, I behold it. it. It captures me. It transfigures me. And so what we're learning from the angel is, if you want to get past your fears, you have to behold and then what does he say in the passage? He says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So he says, good news, good news. You're terrified, but good news. What's the good news? For unto you is born a Savior. I need to behold the Savior. In other words, what the angel is saying is you're allowing fear to grip your heart. Please let God's Son grip your heart. In his unfailing love and faithfulness, let let that grip your heart. Now, isn't it interesting that the angel says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Ah, Savior is born. And that word Savior is Yeshua, from which we get the English name Jesus. And Yeshua in Hebrew means Jesus saves, or God is Savior. And remember the angel tells Mary, and you shall name your child what? Yeshua, or God is Savior. So I asked some friends yesterday, I said, what was his name? What was, the name? what was Jesus' name before he was born? Before the angel said, you'll call him Yeshua, what was his name? I was reading in my quiet time uh, in the Gospel of John this morning and in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading through John very slowly, very carefully, and I remind that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So I suppose we could say that his name has always been God, but listen, in order for him to be Savior, he had to take on another name. In order to be Savior, he had to become a human. And his name was God as Savior, Yeshua. Why did he have to become a human? Because he had to live the life that none of us have ever lived. He had to come and live a perfect life. Think about that. He came to live the life you and I couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. But watch what happens. When he goes to the cross, it's like, it's like a vacuum. It's like a divine vacuum. He sucks all our sin, all our imperfections, all our guilt, all our shame, onto himself, he takes our imperfection on him and dies as though he's imperfect. And he trades out and gives us his perfection. He gives us his perfect life. And God amazingly looks at you and me as though we've always lived the perfect life because of what Christ did for us. And the way we get that perfection, the way we, we get into that place is by simply accepting so what it says in John, accepting what he's done for us and trusting him with our whole life. And then God just 
like we so oftentimes say, God looks at us as though we've never sinned. He looks at us in perfection. And we have nothing to fear. Think about that. As someone put it, Christmas is the end of all fears. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is the end of all fears. If I really believe what Christmas stands for, if I really believe Christ did this for me, I just don't have anything to fear anymore. I don't have to fear rejection. I don't have to fear failure. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear loss. I don't have to fear what you think about me. It doesn't even matter what you think about me anymore. What matters is what God thinks about me. And when God looks at my life, he doesn't see my imperfections. He sees the perfections of his son. And he sees them working their way out in my life until someday I stand before God completely perfected and glorified. That's how God sees me and sees you. I'd rather live more concerned about how God sees me than how you see me. Amen? Because if I always live my life according to how you see me, I will be a nervous wreck. I will be terrified. I'm glad I don't have to stand before God someday and be judged by you. Isn't it amazing I'm looking forward to being judged by God? You would think I'd be terrified to be judged by God. I would if I was still in the darkness. But once I'm in the light, I don't have to fear that anymore. And look what he says at the very end. Verse 14, he says, after this good news, Christ is the Lord. He says, glory to God in the highest and on, peace, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. What does glory mean? The word glory, chabad in the Hebrew, the word glory, doxa in the Greek, it means, it means holy, it means weighty. The weightiness, the aboveness, the beyondness of God. Now listen carefully, this is really important. I can either wrap myself in all the false wrapping paper of the world, the things we described earlier, or listen carefully, I can wrap myself up in the weightiness and the glory of God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, he called you to salvation when we told you the good news. God says, come into the light. That's salvation. Come into the light. Put your faith and trust in my son. Then he says, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's his perfection. That's his beauty. So I can wrap myself up in the things of this world and be fragile and a nervous wreck, or I can wrap myself up in the glory, the doxa, the chabad of Jesus. And stand perfect before the Father. And I have nothing to do with it. It's all done for me. It's amazing. And that's how, that's how you and I can have peace every day, contentment every day, if I'm contented with what God has done for me. But I want to take you back to this word terrified for just a moment because I, I want you to see a trick the enemy plays on us. And here's the trick. You know, when we're in darkness, living in sin without God, we're afraid of God. We're afraid of the light. We're afraid of being exposed. But once we understood what it means to behold the Savior who was born for us, and we put our faith in Yeshua, we put our faith in God saves, then we, we're happy to be in the light, right? Because 
because we were, we're now accepted. I can stand spiritually naked before God with all my faults and issues. I've, I've been forgiven. He sees me as perfect. Now watch what the enemy does. The enemy comes along and he tries to terrorize us with darkness. He tries to terrorize us with all kinds of other fears. He tries to shake our confidence in Yeshua, in God saves. And he has many ways to do that, many ways to do that. And he oftentimes works through people to try to do that when they reject us, when they criticize us, when they're mean to us. But you know what? He, also, he can also work through, through things that happen to us physically or in other ways. And you know, there's nothing that probably shakes us more in our faith and our trust in God than, than suffering, than, than physical suffering. And all of us know somebody who's, who's being attacked, perhaps physically. Maybe it's even you, and maybe someday, it, or someday it will be you. But I want you to know that even in those moments, if we'll trust God, he can stabilize us. He can give us a peace that passes understanding. But instead of me trying to explain that, I've asked my good friend and fellow Wooddaler, Dr. Mark Sofeld, to come. And he's going to share with us his story, his testimony, recent testimony, and a song that he's written. Mark is a, is a physician. And uh, he's recently been through the gauntlet of cancer personally. And I wanted to share with us how God's peace has been at work in his life. Mark? Well, what is your greatest fear? I work as a cancer surgeon, and so naturally, in the back of my mind, I've had a respectful fear of cancer all these years. And there was one type of cancer that I particularly feared, and that was cancer of the head and neck. Because as a doctor, I need to speak, I need to move my neck, I love to teach, and all my life I've been a singer. And I feared contracting an illness that would impact my ability to do all the things I love to do. But this spring, God started me on a journey into the depths of my greatest fears. I was diagnosed with a rare salivary gland tumor under my jaw, and that started a whirlwind of tests and extensive surgery to remove it, and then radiation treatments down at Mayo. And the dust is just now starting to settle. Cancer brings an avalanche of fears. Fears about family, finances, the future, fear of suffering, fear of disability, and even death. But when I was recovering from the surgery and going through the radiation, I was confronted by a different kind of fear, and it's a fear that I had not known before. It was the fear of being rejected by God. And suddenly, every bad thing I'd ever done came flooding over me, repeatedly playing out in detail in my mind like I was watching a newsreel. And I was overwhelmed with a sense of shame for my sin, and a deep fear that God could not love me and could not forgive me. In other words, I was fearing for the very eternal destiny of my soul. So I cried out to God, Lord, please conquer this fear. Please lead me to a place where I have confidence. And God brought me to the point where I realized that I had nothing good in myself to merit salvation. 
And I realized there is a good kind of fear, fear of God. It's not a dreadful terror that makes us run away from God, but rather it's humility before him, approaching him with reverence and awe and faith. Our victory in hard times is our faith. I started focusing on the awesome character of God, his goodness, his forgiveness, his power, his faithful love. And I realized in my suffering that I needed to submit to him and be humble before him. I'm not bringing a resume to God. I'm not bringing my own righteousness to God. He doesn't need anything from me. I need everything from him. It's by the blood of Jesus that I am saved, period. And that has vanquished my fear. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you. And so I want to tell you, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And knowing that has been the gift of my suffering and has conquered my deepest fear. I want to share one passage from the Bible that has really helped me from Psalm 103. It gives a beautiful picture of the love and forgiveness of God, which is especially meaningful at Christmas. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. If you are surrounded by your shame, if you feel abandoned in your pain, if you're lost and all that you're to blame, as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. He knows that we are dust, yet he loves us. Like a father's compassion for his child We fear his rage, but he is mild Like a child we cannot stand Till we hold this nail-scarred hand And it always was his plan To redeem us Is there one us without sin can we make what's ruined new again can we regain the life that might have been as far as the east is from the west he removes our sins from us he knows that we are dust and he 
loves us like a father's compassion for his child. We fear his rage, but he is mild. Like a child, we cannot stand till we hold his nail-scarred hand. And it always was his plan to redeem us. Nothing but the blood of Jesus has the power to release us from the fear and shame we bear. He left us home and came to where his love could set us free from sin's dark memory. Oh, as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. He knows that we are dust, yet he loves us like a father's compassion for his child. We fear his rage, but he is blind. Like a child, we cannot stand till we hold the snail's guard hand. And it always was his plan to redeem us, to redeem us, to redeem us. As far as the east is from the west, our worst covered by his best to redeem us. You can, um, you can stay standing. You can stay standing. Um, you know, it's so easy for Kyle and I just, you know, to preach theology and preach messages. But when you see it being lived out, it takes on deeper meaning, doesn't it? And it realizes, it gives you hope. Uh, Mark has written a wonderful little book. It's called A Healing Stream Will Flow. It's reflections and songs that he's written uh, for the hurting heart. Um, Marsh and I have... Uh, a dear friend who's been through cancer, um, similar, not quite the same, that Mark has been through. And I, I, we gave them this book, and they have said how much it has ministered to them. And so if you're interested in this, you can see the website up there. You can go to Mark's website, and um, I think we're going to put it up. And you can uh, get a hold of this. Or you can stop at our next step tables at door one and two, and we have little cards here for you. It's just a, a resource that I think you would find helpful, or anybody you know who's really struggling, uh, to find peace and hope. Because, listen, God does bring peace even in the midst of suffering, if we will trust him that he's control, no matter what's happening in our lives. Let me pray. Father, as we go from this place, I just know Lord, there are some of us who are battling. We want peace so badly. We want contentment so badly. But Lord, either we are trying to find it in the ways of this world, and God, they don't work. All we have to do is look around us. So forgive us, Lord, for, for trusting the weight of the world, for trusting pleasure, for trusting success, looks, ability, health, all the things the world pushes at us. Forgive us. We we today want to leave putting our trust and faith in you alone. 
God, there, there are some of us who have done that and, and things are happening in our lives right now that are shaking our confidence in you. God, forgive us for being distracted away from you. We, we want to put our faith in the Savior. We want to trust you. Because ultimately, Lord, it's not about this life. It's about, it's about you and it's about our lives to come. And we just want in this life, no matter what happens in our lives, to be a witness for you. We want to trust our weight to your weight. So Lord, speak to our hearts this Christmas season. Let us find peace and contentment in you and you alone. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.